BDC, the Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs, is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. The Scotiabank Women Initiative is a signature program designed to increase economic opportunity for individuals who identify as women or non-binary to be successful now and in the future. This unique offering helps women pursue their best professional and financial futures by providing unbiased access to capital and tailored solutions, bespoke specialized education, holistic advisory services, and mentorship. For more information, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Welcome to the Startup Women Podcast, a show where we connect you, Canada's powerful cohort of women-identifying founders, to real stories and case studies of women-building businesses, supported by true, tactical advice from thought leaders and industry experts. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO of Startup Canada. Each month, I'll be sharing the mic with one founder and one expert. Together, we will dive into real stories and scenarios and uncover actionable advice for women entrepreneurs across Canada. From funding and hiring to sales and scaling strategies, on this show, we cover the most important topics so you can deconstruct the challenges of starting and running a business with knowledge that goes beyond the surface level. Let's get started. Jen Harper is the founder and CEO of Cheekbone Beauty Cosmetics, Inc. Cheekbone Beauty is a digitally native direct-to-consumer brand that is helping Indigenous youth see themselves in the beauty industry that has lacked this representation for too long. Jen had a dream, literally, of beautiful Indigenous girls wearing lip gloss and knew this would be the foundation to build the Cheekbone Beauty brand. Beginning in her basement with just $500, Jen has dedicated herself to growing Cheekbone Beauty year after year. And today, the brand is available at Sephora Canada, giving the brand new opportunities to grow, but also an entirely new set of challenges to navigate. Like I failed grade nine science. I just need everyone to understand that. And I own and operate a lab and employ chemists and other scientists. Like full time, these people work for, for me who, who did not do well. And that's the beauty I've learned about being an entrepreneur. It's like, you're the one with this big vision. I don't know how to do all the things that I need to get done and want done. But there's incredible people that will want to come and join you on the journey when they believe in, in, the, in the vision and the why of your business as much as you do. And we're, we're so fortunate that we're at a point where the people that have come on board as our, our teammates are, are certainly here because they believe in Cheekbone as much as I did. That's where our marketing and growth expert, Mallory Rowan, comes in. Mallory is a serial entrepreneur, content creator, and marketing educator who helps entrepreneurs build without burnout. I think we really like to look at the people who are doing the thing we one day aspire to. And it's really hard to connect the dots. Whereas when you have maybe, um, you know, an online business friend that's just a few launches ahead of you, or you're making, let's say 50K in your business and they're making 
80 to 100K. Those are really great people to find and have in your corners and develop those relationships, whether you're watching from afar or hopefully, you know, you're getting connected with them so that you can have those honest conversations. In this conversation, we bring together Jen and Mallory's experiences and expertise to talk about what Jen was focused on in the early days and some of the biggest challenges new founders face at the start of their businesses. It's through growth and scaling that founders continue to give their businesses life, and it's how they reach new milestones that they've always dreamed of. But these things can't happen without asking yourself what you truly want and finding a sustainable pace to get there. Welcome to the show, Jen and Mallory. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. So Jen, let's kick off with you. Walk us through your entrepreneurial journey. How long have you been building Cheekbone Beauty? Why did you get it started? Um, and why were you building within the cosmetic and beauty industry? Yeah, um, I don't have the typical entrance, I think, to entrepreneurship, or maybe I do. I don't know. It doesn't feel like it. Um, or in the beauty space. So I was selling fish, seafood at the time, um, when I had an incredible dream. Uh, back in 2015, all of these native little girls covered in lip gloss, they had the rosiest little cheeks. I woke up that night, grabbed my laptop and started writing what is the foundation of our brand to this day. And I wanted to create a product and it was lip gloss and then use a portion of those profits to do something to support my community. Um, and at the time I was like, is this a scholarship fund? Is this a foundation in my grandmother's name? And then I always, you know, it was at this crazy intersection of my life where, where when this dream happened. So newly sober and learning um, as much as I could at that time about my grandparents' experience in residential school, really just started reading the, the final reports of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and really discovering that my family's history um, was so relatable to so many First Nations, Métis, and people across the across North America, really, um, and how that played a, such a had such a negative impact on the my the the lives of so many people. And what could we do differently? Um, and then this brand idea comes, and um, thinking about just this concept or idea of representation in the beauty space. You know, looking back over my life, I had never seen anyone that looked like me in mainstream marketing or, or ads. So certainly felt like that was a missing piece. You know, as I've entered the industry, so much has changed um, because I was so naive and new to this space. But now we realized as a brand, there is a huge gap the the beauty industry is notorious for for waste and and we want to do something um, as a brand to help remove what we can from the landfill and so our mission and vision has always been helping every indigenous person on the planet see and feel their value in the world while we craft sustainable color cosmetics and now it's without adding to that landfill and um, really honing in on um, my indigenous roots, like who I was and where I came from and how powerful that truly is in terms of thinking about how we make and create products. Being in consumer goods is truly challenging. And specifically when you want to call yourself sustainable, it's almost in opposition of each other. So how do we really do that? Um, well, it's taken years to figure that part out. Um, and we, we think we've come up with some great ideas. 
I think I would completely agree with that, Jen. <laughs> it's been incredible to watch the journey of Cheap Bone Beauty. And we're so excited to learn more about, you know, what it took to get to where you are right now um, and this incredible moment of growth. Fabulous. Mallory, uh, walk us through your journey, how you entered the entrepreneur space, um, and then how you began coaching folks to really support them in their own businesses. Sure. Yeah. First thing I'm going to say, I also just have such a business crush on Cheap Bone Beauty. So when I met Jen was on this, I was like, oh God, okay. Um, so yeah, everything you've done is so amazing. I just want to say that. But um, yeah, for myself, I started working just like period in the business world really early because I was always very into marketing. I did like student council and plan my prom and those kind of things in high school. So going into university, I'm like, okay, I don't want to just work at the mall. I want to also get something that's you know in an office so I can see what that feels like. So I started working in the corporate world really quickly and then quickly discovering that I wasn't loving, you know, a lot of the office politics, the even just the cubicle life in summer as like a 19 year old, you know, I was like, why am I cold every day? Um, those little <laughs> things that were just like so oddly specific, but irritating to me. Um, and so I kind of moved from there into the startup world. And I started working with the smaller company in Ottawa. And that was really cool because you got a lot more autonomy. Um, it felt like there was a lot more impact with what I was doing. But then I was kind of in this dilemma where I had like the stress of a founder, but really none of the perks of a founder at the end of the day, right? Um, that can often happen in the startup world. You're so in it with the team and that part feels really great. But then there's this realization of, well, at the end of the day, they're going to walk away with a lot. And I'm just, you know, walking away with barely this paycheck in that scene, you know? So that was when I was still in school at the time and I ended up taking on a minor in um, business. And then I got into entrepreneurship classes. And that was really like what did it for me. I remember every week we would have a different guest come talk. And I just thought it was so cool. Like I had so much admiration for people who had started a business. I never thought that would be something I did. I'm like, I'm going to be that like great wingman, you know, I'm going to be like the VP of marketing somewhere. And that's really what I had my eye on. And then it wasn't until one of those classes, we started a class project and our teacher really encouraged us like, Hey, work on something that you actually want to build. Like if you already have a business, work on that. Um, if you have an idea you've always thought about, and he said, you can even work with people outside of the class. So me and my gym training partner at the time decided that we wanted to build something for our sport of powerlifting that helped athletes give back. Um, but also just for us, the main underlying thing was like, we didn't feel like the community was entirely connected. This is so like early Instagram fitness kind of days. So there's people all over and we were all trying so hard to stay connected that we really wanted to build something that would connect everyone. And then from there, we could do really cool things. So I feel like I kind of ended up falling into it. I didn't really think that was going to go somewhere. We made a hundred t-shirts, sold them without a website, just said like, Hey, if we can get these going then maybe we have something and sold those really fast. And then just kind of day by day, um, kept growing it. And I kept working at the same time, um, in that corporate world, it was really good motivation for me to make this thing happen. And then I was luckily able to quit. And then as you mentioned, you know, it kind of went downhill for a bit with the burnout, but now we're here and now we're better for it. Amazing. No, it, and I, I, we hear that so often on the podcast that, you know, I never thought I would be in this entrepreneurial path. And, you know, all of these moments lead us to these different times of our life. And it's such an interesting common link that we see with so many, so many of uh, the guests that we have. 
so Jen, you started Cheekbone Beauty on just a $500 budget of your own money um, and grew the brand out of your basement, which we hear often as well, bootstrapping businesses and um, you know, starting with very little. Can you share what your business looked like um, when it came to your team, your sales, overall state of your business at this stage? Paint us a picture of the infancy of the company. Yeah. So the team was me <laughs> and it was in that corner in my basement. Um, and we had with that $500, it actually wasn't even my money at that point. I had done this um, in uh, what was it called? An Aboriginal business entrepreneurship network group that I became a part of. And they had this 12 week training program. And it was literally like the basics of like, What's the business idea? What's your differentiating factor? Who's your target customer? All those like the basic questions anybody who wants to start something would ask themselves. And then the marketing plan and then your financial plan. Um, and at the end of the 12 weeks, Aben, which was run through NWAC, which is the Native Women's Association of Canada, gave us all a $500 check. And I went home and I was like, okay, this is, this is what I'll start this business with. Like, I can't say I don't have any money to do this now. Um, and that was registering the Shopify store buying. So the beauty space is really fascinating. And I know many spaces are like this now where you can white label anything. And so we had found a great partner supplier in the Toronto area that would put our logo on the product and we would be able to buy really small minimums at a ridiculous exorbitant cost now that I realize the difference. Um, however, the, their, their minimum quantities were like easy for someone who's starting to, to, to handle. And I also looked at it in the sense that, because when you look at the numbers, I'm like, this business selling this product would never make any money. It would be ridiculous to think that you could. However, it was the only way that I could afford to test the market because someone like me, without any experience in the beauty industry, who was selling fish, could not walk into investors' offices without an MBA, without any actual higher education at all. I have high school and then started a business program and ended up dropping out. So I'm like, there, no one's ever going to offer me money for anything. I have to prove and see if this works. So that was like literally... Um, how we started and we launched those picture images of those very, those, th those products on that website, registered the business and really just started using social media marketing in the early days and really bought into using the ad payment um, when they were like super, super cheap. And um, we know that that is what certainly helped us grow and expand our audience so much quicker and then over those first few years, just seeing how much our community was like supporting this brand and how much people were were needing to see this, like they had never seen an indigenous beauty brand before. Um, and uh, if they had, they were just so much smaller and we were growing so rapidly. And um, we then realized, and that was in those early days where I, I say we, but it was still just me, where I was like, okay, this is not going to work if we're ever going to be actually competitive in the beauty space. And that's when I started to think about the things that I'm really passionate about. Um, and, you know, people wonder why beauty when I, when I would start a business, you're in the food industry. I've been in the food industry since I was 14 years old, starting in hospitality and then ended up in sales and marketing um, at the seafood company. Um, and 
I picked beauty because I've just always loved cosmetics and skincare. Like I'm a huge, just customer and fan of all products. So, um, that I felt was an easy answer for me. Like I'm, I'm if I was going to start this business, knowing how hard it was going to be, I at least want to do it with something that I love. And, and then I thought about my career in the food industry and I really had focused on the last five years of selling seafood on sustainable seafood and talking about um, what's happening in our oceans with our customers and really trying to get chefs and restaurateurs on board to like buying better, more traceable, more sustainable products for, for their clients and customers. And I just really took all of the things that I had learned from the seafood world about sustainability and set out on this path to try to figure out how to make that part. Amazing. And now you are in Sephora stores, which is incredible <laughs> to see that growth of, you know, the the vision and, you know, following that intuition of what you wanted to do every day um, and then seeing it grow tremendously. Getting to this point, was there anything that really halted your growth or any, you know, significant roadblocks that you can look back on um, as a part of that journey to where you are now? For sure, um, the idea of where I'm getting money from, it's like, and I'm going to say this and the audience, it's going to sound crazy, but there's a lot of people out there now that I realize this with money and that part is actually not hard anymore. Um, however, in the early days, it really is. You have no idea who would be willing to give money, but there's a lot of people out there that are willing to do it and good, safe money too. Like that's a whole nother conversation about where we get our money from to build, um, or where we get the capital from to build. Um, but that felt like a huge block. Like I am not, I, you know, I grew up in poverty. I don't come from generational wealth at all. Um, I was working really, really hard at my full-time job selling the seafood, literally in order to pay for a lot of the stuff. Cause it was for three years, I still worked in, in that, in that job and only did cheekbone at nights and on the weekends. And so when you talk about burnout and being in that, like was so unsustainable, I would never recommend it. But it, when you're passionate about something, sometimes you, you do the crazy things and that meant working 80 to 100 hour work weeks for those three years in order to make this happen and be like, yeah, oh my gosh, it was that those three years were wild. And I can't believe I survived. And when um, I finally get, quit my job and we had an investor, it was August of 2019. And my family, my husband and I went to Italy with my daughter. And I remember just feeling like collapsing, right? Because you're just so exhausted. And then I had to come back and just work on cheekbone. And I was like, this is so weird, like at nine in the morning versus all night long, right? Yeah, so, so many transitions, but obviously um, a lot of great things have happened since then. And still, you know, it's never gets easier. I'm gonna just be so honest with the audience about that. It's always gonna be hard. And I think great things are always hard and that's just the reality of life. Mm. I could not agree more, Jen. Mallory, do you find that with a lot of the founders that you're working with that, you know, burnout is the biggest challenge, funding, where are you seeing mm. some of the biggest hurdles for the founders you're working with? Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of like three main things I'd say when it comes to especially like earlier stage businesses. Um, one that applies at any stage, I think, is knowing what's next. And as silly as that sounds, I think that really is like a big challenge for people because like what got you to the point you're at isn't going to get you to the next point. And like, as soon as you feel like you figured it out, you're just like, and we're lost again, because you're into that like next phase. So it's like, you just get like two seconds of feeling like you really have it under control. And then it's like brand new challenges. So I think 
that's like a really important thing to recognize. It's like Jen said, like that feeling won't go away. It's just going to be different, bigger problems. Um, so for that, you know, like finding resources that you can depend on, always looking for people that are like three steps ahead. I think we really like to look at the people who are doing the thing we one day aspire to. And it's really hard to connect the dots. Whereas when you have maybe, um, you know, an online business friend that's just a few launches ahead of you, or you're making, let's say 50K in your business and they're making 80 to 100K, those are really great people to find and have in your corners and develop those relationships, whether you're watching from afar or hopefully, you know, you're getting connected with them so that you can have those honest conversations. Because I think a lot of the time, you know, I laugh when Jen was saying how much she was paying for that early products because we did the same thing like we were paying for t-shirts and then cutting them into crops and like trying to reuse the extra but it was just like so much more expensive than it needed to be but it's what you do at the beginning and sometimes you just need to hear someone else say like yeah we've all kind of been there so I think that's a, a really big piece um I think learning to turn what feels like negatives into positives really early so a lot of people want to, you know, fake being a big company, but it's also okay that you're a small business and there's lots of pros to that. For us, we did not know how people did like the flat lay photography for their business. So, you know, when you see just like a t-shirt on a white background, like we could not get it to look good. So we were like, you know what, like instead of having bad photos that we're trying to be like the big guys, we were like, okay, all of our photos are going to be people wearing the stuff doing squat, bench, or deadlift, which was our sport. So then people loved the photos because in our sport, there wasn't people producing like high quality media. So we just turned that into our thing as you go to the website and the way the products were lined up, it was a squat and then a bench and then a deadlift and it would repeat. And so I think that's really important and people often forget, you know, I'll give you another quick example. I have a friend that's a candle maker and she's like, you know, I'm putting this pressure on myself that the second I get an order, I have to like sit down that night and make the candle because I'm trying to compete with the Amazons of the world that are sending it the next day. So I'm like, well, lean into the fact that you're not Amazon, right? Why don't we instead set up an email series that tells them each day where their candles now at, right? The next day, explain the process of today, this is what's happening. The first day, I'm just excited. I haven't even touched your order, to be honest. I'm just having my little dance, right? The second day, I'm pouring the wax and so on and let them be part of that experience so they can get the candle and be like, oh my gosh, I know what went into this, right? So mm -hmm. I think really, anytime it feels like something's really up against you, how can you like pull something out of that that's actually going to be a positive? And it also is just gonna make the experience like that much better, right? Because we can't just be in the lows all the time. Um, and I think the last thing would just be learning to delegate and let go early on even though you're often a one person show, like letting people help where they can, even if it's friends or family. Um, we did a lot of like service exchange early on, you know, our photographer, I helped him build his business and he's now a full-time photographer, but that was kind of our exchange. Like he didn't get that side. We didn't know how to do photos. So we worked together and made sure it was always mutual. And we said like, you know, as we grow, you're going to grow with us. And that was really big for us because I learned how to like let other people own those projects, which I think is a big thing people have a hard time with, right? They are so in their head because they've run the business probably like three years by themselves, right? So then when you go to let people in, it feels like no one can do it fast enough, good enough. And often it's just us not properly communicating to them. So they're like already starting with the short stick, you know? So I think if you can learn to set up those processes, like I always think like, Okay, if I have a team of 15, 
how should I be doing this differently? And sometimes I don't have time to do it. Like I have a team of 15, but it's at least in the back of my head of like, I should probably get this down as a system somewhere so that when someone comes in, that's what they can use. And then if it's not going well, it's on me because my instructions weren't clear, right? And it helps you kind of ease into that process. Love that. I love that structure, Mallory. Yeah, everything you said is definitely resonates both you and Jen. Incredible. Um, I'd love to go into more detail about growth in the early days. Because to your point, Mallory, looking at somebody three steps ahead of you instead of 100 steps ahead of you, um, I think that's such a helpful framework because we see these overnight success stories and aspire um, you know, to be in this whole different league, not understanding the actual um, nuts and bolts of what it took to get there. Um, and I love seeing more transparent entrepreneurs like both of you who are really, you know, uncovering what that journey has looked like. So Jen, in the beginning, what was your biggest priority when it came to growth? Did you feel like you were focused and following sort of a step-by-step plan or, you know, did it feel like a bit of a whirlwind to try to stay on top of it all as the, you know, sole person within the business? What did that early, early stage look like? So as a sales veteran in my career, I always looked at revenue and it was always like same day last year, are we hired? Same month last year, are we hired? It was like year over year, just growth. Um, And as long as that was happening, I felt okay. Um, But I'm also like a professed, like a probably anti-numbers person because it creates so much anxiety and that's not my strong... um, definitely it's it's my weakness for sure so now of course we have a cfo that takes care of all that stuff but in the early days that's really what i was paying attention to is just like okay there's and that's how i knew that i then had something to go to investors with right i was like okay look at how much we've grown in this short period of time um clearly there there's people that want this brand to exist like we we had legs now now can we keep scaling and growing and of course like you know i think about my years in hospitality and um i'm thinking about like our automations of emails and just our customer experience has always been really important to me like we believe that the customer deserves to have everything that they want out of the experience. Um, And we know for sure we cannot make everyone happy, but um, we do our absolute best um, from the point that we still wrap each individual order like a present. Um, And that we've never will we, as long as I'm in charge, I don't envision us ever going to a 3PL because I want, which is a, I, I know that's an acronym, but what can someone just, I forget what, how do you like it? Just somebody else that's going to pack and ship your orders, right? We've chosen not to use that because we want to be the last people to touch the product before our actual customer touches it. And sometimes that means, um, things cost more in the end to do that. But then it's also, you know, it's the ethos of our brand. Like we exist to provide jobs um, that pay well. We pay our, we pay $19 an hour as a minimum wage. We do not. um, So we pay, we have a living wage status for everyone that works at our company. Um, This year, so proud that because of that, we, everyone got a 6% increase on their salaries. Everyone except me, but everyone else did Um, because it's the inflation this year was 5.4%. And we like, I go to the store and I see how the cost of like, and I know the rent in our area where we live in Niagara, because everyone from Toronto is moving to Niagara um, is just skyrocketed. And so we believe in supporting the people that work for us. And then sometimes when you're outsourcing, 
unfortunately, it does maybe save the company um, bottom line revenue, but that impacts human beings. And that's not what we are about as a brand at all. Yeah. And you're staying core to those core values. Uh, and for, for those that aren't familiar with 3PL, it is third party logistics. So providing, you know, outsourced logistics services. This is a term that you will definitely come across <laughs> as, as you go through uh, your journey. I love that note, Jen, as well to Mallory's point around some things not being scalable for small businesses and trying to keep the heart of what makes you unique as a small business, like handwritten thank you notes or, you know, putting that humanness into products. Um, me as a consumer, that's so important to me. And I love to see larger businesses as they scale still try to find some of those human touches um, that, that really go a long way. Mallory, when you're looking and talking to entrepreneurs about the beginning of their businesses, finding a focal point in those early days, do you often recommend looking at revenue as that focal point and that driving factor? Is it solidifying the value proposition, figuring out your audiences? Where do entrepreneurs need to kind of focus in those early days? Yeah, I think at the beginning, like not being afraid to try things, but not trying everything, which is a really hard balance. Um, so I think, you know, you want to keep going through this system of like, try it, see what worked about it, see what didn't, take the good, get rid of the bad, adapt and keep going. That was really big for us, like our early day trajectory, like you can literally look at a chart and just see each launch getting better and better because we were taking the things that worked learning from it, trying a new thing, pulling those things. So that is going to be part of the process. Um, and then when you're, you know, when you're still in your infancy of your business, like listen to your audience. I mean, at any point, but early on, again, you have that really intimate connection, whether it's doing Instagram polls, sending emails with surveys. If you're at events, just talk to people. I think that's really important is listen. Um, you will develop the skill to filter, right? We used to get, you know, like, can this shirt come in every color and then some, you know, you learn to like filter some of that out because you can't do everything. But I think that's a big part of it is, is don't be afraid to try the things and then trust your gut with what's working. I really go like, listen to like your heart or your gut, depending on what kind of person you are, the numbers second, because the numbers is also your customers, right? Like Jen said, if your revenue is going up, the customers are happy, more people are coming, they're probably referring. Um, and then thirdly, like your advisors. So for me, a really important thing early on is like, everyone is going to have opinions, but not everyone's going to have context for you and your business. They don't know if, you know, if Jen wants to sell her business one day, they don't know if it's something she wants to run it until the last day of her life. Like we don't know those things, but everyone's going to go, Oh, you run a lipstick company. You should do like purple lipstick. Right. They have those opinions, right? <laughs> I'm sure you've heard like every request or like you should get into eyeshadow or whatever, right? People love to share what they think. And that's something that at the beginning you want to be so like taking in everything everyone's saying. But I think find those key people that you really trust their opinions, whether it's advisors, whether it's early customers and learn to, you know, softly tune out the rest, hear it but filter it. And if you need to run it by like some sort of advisor, I think that's really important is just decide those people that get the full context and that you're going to give them that full back and forth so that any input they're putting into it, you can take it very differently than the stranger on the street that wants like the cheetah print t-shirt, right? <laughs> I love that, because it's so true, especially as color cosmetics, um, we get asked for every color, every product, like when are you coming with it? And I, I don't think 
and I wouldn't have known this as an average consumer, you know, when we're dealing with our um, co-packing manufacturers, we do some small batches of only lipstick in our warehouse. Everything else has to go outside because we don't have the machinery or the equipment to, to complete so many of the projects. And so adding and an, an the minimum quantity order, which all of these new entrepreneurs will learn is like the MLQ, right? Like the, the, the minimum they can order. I can tell you from some of our suppliers, it's 25,000 per unit per shade. Wow. Wow. That, that is not affordable for most people. Then some are like 10K, some are 5K. So we're, but we're even 5K of a purple lipstick. When someone asked for this and our team, I'm like, are they buying all 5K? Cause like, I don't, I've only had one person ask for that specific color of purple. Right. So it is, but we, in the early days and still do, we've just done this analysis. We have some customers that have spent nearly $4,000. So is their lifetime value of their, of, of our products. I'm like, this is wild. And we found, and their orders are like in the 30 orders, 40 order range, right? Like this is crazy that they're spending this much money with us over the few years. And we reach out to that group of people. There's, there's, there's a core group that we have that we engage with regularly. When we launch a new product, they will have been the ones. Um, but then what we're, what we're seeing now is they are obviously our super fans. And so we need, cause we'll do something with them and everybody loves everything. And I'm like, okay, there's gotta be somebody here that hates something. Cause we read bad reviews on Sephora. So we need to, we need to expand our group. So, as we've scaled, we've realized we need another group of people that don't know us, that don't love us to test our products as well. Yeah, you need that whole diversity of perspective to get every every different type of possible consumer um, and, and get that feedback in. I love that. And I think to the point of you know this, this whole podcast episode around growth, I see it being so challenging for many entrepreneurs to think um, around staying focused, but then looking for the opportunities for scale that, you know, is that purple lipstick going to be the moment that then scales the business? And are you willing to go all in, in, uh, you know, a potential avenue that uh, might not work and the cost that's required there, the sacrifice and the investment of resources into one direction that could have gone somewhere else. And this tension is very challenging for entrepreneurs to navigate and it will not be perfect. I think is one key lesson that, you know, there will be, you know, bumps along the road and decisions that could go elsewhere. Uh, but Jen, you shared as well that within the beauty industry, um, it's very competitive and is occupied by a lot of established brands that might have more of those resources to experiment. Um, and that we see very little indigenous representation in the beauty industry that really propelled you to push through and stand out. Um, once you anchored yourself in the mission and the goal that you mentioned earlier, what strategies did you put into place to go forward and grow, pulling on that intention um, and staying focused to who you were as a business leader? So I think a big shift for us was realizing the lack of um, differentiation and uniqueness about the products we were selling originally. And so now everything we sell is based on formulations that we've created, that we've taken control over supply chain, we've taken control over raw ingredients, we've taken control over almost every step except the what they call the filling portion of the product, right? And so we now feel in so much more control. And that was part of understanding when customers would ask us questions about products and raw ingredients, I didn't have the answers because this whole beauty industry is like, 
locked up. Like they are like lip sealed. They don't share information. But then now I'm, I'm, I've learned there's so many reasons why, right? Like because of the highly competitive nature of the space and lots of people are using inferior ingredients. And that's the simple fact. Mm. And they, and they cannot prove that a child is not impacted by the mica that they have mined. And so the cost of us finding and sourcing fair trade suppliers, organic ingredients with certified, like all of those things cost more. Um, and we knew that that was a cost, which was a risk, right? That we, we had to take in order to separate ourselves from what all of the other brands are doing in, in the beauty space. Um, and we knew that that would be a huge expense, but we knew that it would be um, transformative for us as a brand and hopefully help transform the beauty space in general to see if a small brand like us, we built a lab for crying out loud in 2020. Like I failed grade nine science. I just need everyone to understand that. And I own and operate a lab and employ chemists and other scientists like full time. These people work for, for me who, who did not do well. And that's the beauty I've learned about being an entrepreneur. It's like, you're the one with this big vision. I don't know how to do all the things that I need to get done and want done, but there's incredible people that will want to come and join you on the journey when they believe in, in the, in the vision and the why of your business as much as you do. And we're, we're so fortunate that we're at a point where the people that have come on board as our, our teammates are, are certainly here because they believe in Cheekbone as much as I did. The Startup Women Advocacy Network, SWAN, is a curated group of 13 women-identifying early-stage entrepreneurs who advocate and champion the needs of women entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast. The Georgestown Inn offers Newfoundland hospitality in a newly restored and renewed Edwardian home with modern amenities. Filled with antiques and situated in a heritage-designated area of St. John's, the Georgestown Inn affords its guests an opportunity to cast their net to award-winning eateries, whale-watching tours, and the harbor front of the oldest city in North America. At the helm is owner and operator Cindy Pertill, who blissfully devotes her time to her guests to provide them with a welcome and comfortable stay. We are thrilled to have her as our Newfoundland and Labrador Swan representative. To book your stay, visit georgestownin.ca. Danae Wellness Warriors offers counseling, workshops, and other specialized health and wellness services primarily to Indigenous people. Their mission is to see a community of healthy people who create life-changing habits using skills they learn to overcome personal challenges. In 2019, the Northern Indigenous Counseling Initiative was co-founded, a program that trains and certifies Indigenous counselors to help their own people. Their co-founder, Jean Erasmus, is Danae Ann Cree, originally from Fort Chippewayan and now makes Yellowknife her home. Jean's vision is to educate and inspire people towards a life of wellness. We are so honored to have her as our Northwest Territories SWAN representative. To learn more, visit DanaeWellness.ca. Visit www.startupcan.ca and head over to the Explore tab. Under Startup Women, you'll find more information about the Advocacy Network and the incredible work of these amazing founders. And Mallory, when you're working with entrepreneurs that, entrepreneurs that have a really clear mission like Jen, um, how do you pair their passion with their tactical strategies for growth? How are you encouraging your students to really try new things, experiment with different options, but um, stay operating on their own terms? Yeah, I think most people have a better gauge than they realize of like, this feels new and uncomfortable. 
versus this feels like a little morally unaligned for me. And I think it's like listening to that gut instinct and being open to trying things, but finding that line of like, why am I hesitating around this thing? Because, you know, when you are operating as a business that's trying to do good, there is a just, I mean, we live in a capitalist society. There's a lot of marketing and sales that is not good practice, right? So it is hard. You're constantly navigating that. And I always say like, can we find the root of the lesson that we're seeing somewhere else and find our version? So, you know, I'll try to give you like a a product and a service example. So for a product, um, Black Friday, right? Great opportunity. You're like, people have their wallets ready. They want to spend. Small businesses often want to get in on it, but also have this kind of maybe gross feeling about it. Um, it for multiple reasons, right? Like, so whatever those reasons might be for them, they're like, I just, I don't feel great doing this like giant, you know, discount my entire store. So you can look at, okay, well, is there a different type of promotion we can run on that weekend? Is there something where um, we doubled our donations one year? So anytime somebody purchased, we were doing an additional donation on on top of the usual. Um, So looking at those things, can you do like a really cool collaborative product instead where you're bringing something brand new to the market, but it's something that you feel like your customers really need. So choosing like, hey, we're going to bring something to the table on that weekend, but we're not going to participate in the like, slash the price, you know, all the fast fashion, like 80% off or whatever. So you can choose those levels of participating for something kind of more like a service-based business. I remember when I had to start doing more sales calls, when I was like, you know, getting started in coaching, um, a lot of people would say like, you have to end the call with the person's credit card information. And it just like never felt good to me because they were like, then they're committed, you know, it makes them feel like it's a yes. And I'm like, I don't know, it just feels really gross. So I just had to say like, okay, well, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get that final commitment, right? So how do I feel good about, you know, getting that final commitment and what would I respond to on the other end? And for me, it was simply telling someone like, if we had a call on a Tuesday, I'd be like, do you feel like you can let me know by Thursday, whether you want to do this or not? And just adding that date. And for me, it was actually putting the ball in their court, right? Because everyone always says like, follow up in two days. But again, that felt gross to me. And if someone did that to me, I'm like, they're just trying to close the sale. So I was like, I'm not going to reach out to you, actually. Like, you'd have to come back to me in two days and let me know. And if you don't, I'm just going to assume you're like not interested or, you know, you're going back and forth too much. And then I don't really want to work with you. And for me, it was this perfect version. And people would come back to me in like that same night. They'd be like, you know what? I thought about it and I'm in. I'm like, great. I'd send an invoice. I'd give them 15 days. And it felt way more comfortable to me. But I had to start with that, like, what was the root of the lesson of getting the credit card info on the phone? Uh, I mean, some people, I think it's just a little, little, like, they just want the credit card info. But really, it's like that commitment is what they were looking for. So finding those versions that feel good to you and still feel like morally aligned, but are, you know, leveraging those marketing lessons. I love that. That's a great post-it. Yeah. What is the root of the lesson? (laughs) That's great, Mallory. So bringing all of this, uh, you know, growth, looking at the beginning of the business, uh, we've already mentioned, you know, burnout being a part of the process for both Jen and and Mallory here. Um, So many businesses want to grow and scale 
and understand how they can do that uh, without burning themselves out, uh, which is you know something we see often. And unfortunately, it's a lot of you know I was burnt out. I wish I had not proceeded with this. You know, I wish I'd known this at a different stage. I wish I had talked to somebody. Um, so I think it's really important to talk about the strategies that um, you know could have been in place to support founders uh, as they build businesses in a competitive space. When you look at pacing your growth as an entrepreneur to make sure that it's sustainable, so you personally don't get burnt out, do you have any advice or you know recommendations um, that you share with either peers or other emerging founders? Mallory, let's kick off with you. Sure. So what I usually have people do is like think about where they want to be in like 50 years. And I'm saying like, like one day, not like these are the things I want to achieve. Like you wake up in the morning, like where are you waking up? What does it feel like? Are you like jumping out of bed to get your computer to run this, you know, massive business? Or are you, you know, sitting by a lake having a coffee? Who's there? Are there children around you? Those kind of questions. And really see like, what do you think that looks like? And then you want to work backwards to get there. And I think keeping that day in mind and like being open to that day can change. Like right now you might picture that day one way and in 10 years it might change, or maybe, you know, you have a kid or you make a big life change and that day looks different, but always thinking about that and asking yourself as you're growing is what I'm doing, working towards that goal, because, you know, I'll say it again, it's a capitalist society. So like, we really can fall into these things of making choices for our business because we think it's what we're supposed to do. And, you know, everyone thinks even scaling, right? People are like, I got to scale, I got to grow. And I'm like, but do you? Like, what do you actually want? You know, a lot of people want to be able to log off, you know, to pick up their kids from school or they want to be able to travel. Like, if you want to travel, I'm like, could you just be a freelancer, right? Do we have to build like a content agency with six writers? And I think we have this pressure to build really big things. And I think that's really important because if you don't truly want to build the big thing, it's going to be really hard to do it. And I think also just we don't see enough versions of success that aren't the big thing because the big things are loud, right? That's just the nature of them. But there's a lot of people that are, you know, sitting at home, making 100k but working for themselves and doing that thing and logging off and feeling great at the end of the day we just that's not very loud sexy it's not a headline right so the the unicorn company is a headline right so i think that's really important is looking at like what you actually want long term and then also finding your sprint pace in the day to day right do you want to do more work now so that maybe you feel like you don't have to later i remember um, michelle romano who's you know, clear co-founder and from Dragon's Den, I remember her saying she had to find her sprint pace because people talked a lot about like this daily and weekly balance. And she just kind of realized like, no, I actually go hard for like three months or a quarter, whatever. And that's how I like do really well. I want to be really in it. And then I'm going to go to a beach for like a month. Right. And so she had to even like dissect what her version is, because as much as it's great, we're hearing a lot more about this balance then some people are going and trying to have this like daily balance. That's not really a thing for them. They need to like go hard and then take a decent break. Right. So I think finding your own pace and always asking like, is this getting me to where I actually want to go? 
and having the courage to really identify what that is independently that yeah scale does not equal success in everybody's you know priority that you know are you trying to create jobs are you bringing wealth back into your community are you creating a product that you think is really making a difference is that enough like it, it really being honest with yourself um, around what that looks like and we need to tell those stories to your point mallory the sexy tech unicorns they get all the yeah. shiny headlines <laughs> but it's incredible to have that power um, as a business owner in making the the life that you want to prioritize and we should celebrate that more often. Jen, any advice on your end? Yeah, I think it's so true that it's those big headlines that grab all of our attention. And really, I think it's in Canada, most of the business are SMEs, which are small to medium size, right? And um, that's what creates most of the jobs in this country for people. And so there's something really powerful in understanding that. And I talk a lot, obviously, to Indigenous youth and entrepreneurs and it's really deciding like where what brings you happiness because if 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 um not growing a massive company it doesn't have to be what that is it could be just a small company that helps your community and supports your family there's no shame and shame in that at all right but i think sometimes when people get into entrepreneurship it's right away that idea of scaling this massive company and there's a lot of a lot of costs comes with scaling it's a big risk i bet you i don't have the stats but there's a lot of people that tried to scale and and probably didn't make it right and that we don't even know that they exist um and so it's just understanding who you are and what you want and what really makes you happy and um you know so many people it's sometimes too late in life realize money things for all of us, that's not where real happiness comes from. It comes from uh, our family, our friends, and, and and those kinds of things and feeling that sort of contentment inside yourself. Um, and so I think when people figure that out, they can make that easier. But then I also have this side where if you want to try, go for it, right? Um, but then don't, like, I've all, when I started Cheekbone, and I still to this day, it's like, what if it doesn't work? And we, st I still sit in half that space, you know, sometimes and realize if it doesn't, I have to realize it didn't. And you, you got to separate like as much as when I'm in public, people call me cheekbone beauty. I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> that's the business name. I'm Jen Harper, but, um, it's not me. It's something I tried to make or have made and it's, it's working right now. But if it doesn't always, I have to realize and be okay with that too. It's like this constant balancing act within ourselves. Yeah. Being all in and then having that separation is so challenging. And I think when it comes to growth and scaling as well, when do you know um, that you are putting too much into the business basket and not enough into the Kayla or the Jen or the Mallory basket to support yourself. Um, do you have any other tips around avoiding that burnout or when you can start, start seeing that you might be going down that path and really recognizing that you need support to create a more sustainable path forward? Mallory, do you have any tips on the burnout side? I think, you know, often we look for like, or we notice the physical signs in our body, but there's actually a lot of like mental or emotional signs that come first. Um, you know, people say, if you don't listen to your body when it whispers, it will like make you listen when it screams. So I think often the whispers are like the mental or the emotional. For me, when I was burning out, I was like really irritated by small things. You know, I felt really on edge often. I also just felt like I was getting boring. <laughs> like I thought I just had less personality and I'm like, oh God, am I like an old 
grumpy man already at like 23, but it was literally just like, I really needed a break and I didn't even have the energy to be that bubbly person. But it really kind of messed me up for a while because I'm like, was trying to almost like mourn who I had been and been like, okay, I guess this is who I am now. Like, I guess I'm just a more irritated person and like, I'm not as bubbly as I once was. And, you know, then when my body started breaking down, you know, as you said, the doctor had to be like, hey, I think there's something going on here. And I was like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Right. And as I started to work on things, that personality came back and little things didn't bother me at all. And I think those were like the early signs that I didn't know were signs that would have been really helpful to have flagged. Jen, anything else on the burnout side? Yeah, I think since sobriety, I have a really healthy daily routine, which helps keep me feel stable. Um, and it has to, because that's a big part of my life, obviously staying sober. And so my daily routine, it starts with fitness, prayer, outside, nature, all of those things. And then I go about my day and... Um, I've, I've, I'm really proud of myself because I, this year I've done such a much better job of ending the day sooner. I used to stay at work way too late. And my daughter finally, she, she said something, she pointed it out. And so now I try to get home before six o'clock um, instead of after eight. Right. And it's when sometimes you need the the people in your life to say, to say something um, because yeah, it's, it's crazy when you have addiction, it just transfers itself into different areas of your life. And so as much as certainly prefer the addiction to cheekbone beauty than alcohol, but if I'm being really honest with everyone, that's literally, I read a book called The Power of Habit by Dr. Charles Duhigg um, while I was still battling alcoholism, but obviously maintained all those points. And he's the, the idea of reaching creating our own brain paths and how addiction is neurology. And so I realized I'm like, okay, I just, if I change the path from my choice of alcohol to working on this business, then this will help me because you can't eliminate that completely. It has to be replaced with something else. Um, and so learning that, and obviously that is what had kept me sober for, for all of these, these years, but then now trying to become more balanced, but that I just even hate saying that because it's just really hard to do. It really is. But um, we just do our best. I'm doing the best each day I wake up and I do the best I can for this day. And um, that's all I got. <laughs> saying it. And that's going to look different for everybody and in different seasons, in different time frames, with different activities. Um, but I think the intention to find what is going to work for you, that's really the message to make sure that um, you're prioritizing yourself and using that oxygen mask on your own face before you know supporting others and, and being able to show up in your business as your best self. You want to feel fueled. You want to feel um, like you can bring yourself uh, into the business and your whole self. Um, and this is challenging, especially when we're talking about growth and scaling to find that balance. Jen, did you set any kind of goals or markers um, or touch points throughout the seasons of your growth when you were first starting uh, Cheekbone? Yeah. So Sephora being one of the big major goals that I've always mm -hmm. had on on the vision board. <laughs> um, well, Sephora Canada, Sephora USA is our sort of, they're, they're definitely the, the massive machine that we want to be a part of. Um, Canada is so small. It really is. And our business literally will not sustain itself in Canada as, as the way it's operating. So we know we need the US. So for us, that's the next big check mark that we have to have to hit. Um, 
And then always revenue forecasts. Like that's how um, I think it's just like my background. So there's always the forecasts. Are we meeting them? Um, budgets, are we meeting those? And then we have a really interesting side of our business is about social impact um, and really working hard on how to define and create the goals around that. And are we achieving that? And so um, we've started creating new ways to measure the impact we're making on our community and also the lack, the less impact we're making on the planet. And so we built a sustainability calculator um, and our team to to work on those and to provide metrics for ourselves and the community. And then what really helps is we just became B Corp certified in April. And so that actually does help us create a measurement platform too for our social and environmental impact. Um, and I think those are things that in the early days, I certainly did not think would be important or think of how do you measure impact. Um, and there's some really interesting like theories that with our investors who happen to be indigenous as well um, are working on and these concepts one being like the theory of change and how long that takes and you know one thing that i think a ton about is like on a psychographic level is the fact that our brand exists on shelves in stores in spaces where our people see it it, will that truly make a difference in our communities? Um, and it's really something that's really a challenge to, to measure, uh, but it's something that we're working on and to see, does that have power? And then realizing, giving other Indigenous entrepreneurs the power to see themselves in building a business and, and brand as well. So there's there's a ton of stuff that we constantly look at and creative uh, as goals. And then we always have that huge North Star of, we wanted this brand on shelves globally. And so then that is the thing that's way off in the distance. But then, you know, these steps along the way and, and celebrating the achievements and then getting back to work on, on, on the next step. Amazing. I love the big lofty, you know, forecast, the incremental elements. Um, and and all of these things really are anchored in your values. Like you have done such an incredible job of, of securing the business in uh, what is true to you and, and these priority foundations that that also I think is easier for entrepreneurs if they have a couple of things that are going to be consistent no matter what they can scale from there. So with adjusting to growth um, and planning ahead, you know, we've talked about the, the infancy of your businesses, how you grew in those early stages, some of the challenges that came your way. Um, what does adjusting to growth and sort of sinking into um, the next right phase of your business, what does that look like? And, and how did you feel in these moments where it felt like what you were doing was really working? And when you were entering into new territories, uh, what did that feel like as a founder um, to, to be entering into that new chapter? Jen, do you have any sort of moments or milestones when you felt that shift in the business? Um. Yeah, there's been like a couple and then the ones that aren't, I'm like, we chalk the, we're like, what is the meaning and what are we learning when, when that's not happening? Um, but I guess the early days of just understanding um, the digital space and when you do all of those things and you um, are, are grabbing the right people into your circle through, through digital marketing, that felt right and really felt like everything was working and falling into place. Then when we recently, this past fall, when we started the Sephora relationship, again, another, another experience that feels 
right and that we're on the right path. And specifically for us, if we think of distribution channels, we were strictly e-commerce for all of our existence up until this new partnership with Sephora. And now we're in a digital shift where we're 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 not growing like we once did in the digital space. And so we're we're really grateful as a brand that we have this retail opportunity. Um, and we've, you know, when we started that, we have this new vision of where we're, we want to be 50% wholesale retail and 50% e-commerce. And that's how we see our brand growing. Um, and uh, both of those situations felt really good, like we were doing the right things. It's important to understand, I think, when you are a business owner, like these are things I never thought about, but the world at large, what is happening? Like we are unfortunately probably entering a recession. And so understanding those things becomes really important as a business owner, because what changes do we have to make where, what projects maybe do you have to not do in, in this year or next in order to stay afloat? And so that's where you, when the things that were working, um, really pulling out what worked and, and, uh, don't take as many big risks. Maybe I don't know. I'm, you know, these are still questions we're asking ourselves what we're going to do in the next couple of years, um, because we know that that's coming. Um, we're grateful that there's a lot of studies on the lipstick effect, apparently. Um, and so I'm hoping that that, you know, doesn't um, uh, that pans out for us during these these tough times ahead. But um, th I think thinking seriously about what you need to know about the world at large while you're building is important as well. Even though we saw those good moments and all the things that worked, um, circumstances can change really rapidly as we've all learned from the pandemic. Yeah. And Mallory, you've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs across different spaces, industries, navigating lots of these you know, shifts and growth and pivots and everything during the pandemic as well. Do you have any advice for founders as they cross into these new thresholds of their businesses or explore these sort of new milestones that are coming up next? Right when you feel like you figured it out, like I said before, it's going to fall apart again. And as much as I can feel really frustrating, it's like finding that little bit of magic in that, of in those moments being like, no, this is a good thing because we're being challenged to get to that next phase and knowing that it's not you falling on your face. It's just, okay, we're like entering this next phase, whether it's of life or the business, you know, it's actually as much as it sucks in that moment to feel that way it's actually a really good place in your business to be because you can't just keep operating the same way and expecting different results. So when you are facing those challenges, it is going to be the thing that gets you to the next place. It's the natural cycle of it, right? And there's nothing you can really do about that. It's always going to be like, right, when you figure it out, new challenge. And I think that's really important. The other thing we've always kind of operated as that, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, Emmanuel Ocho. He's a football player in the States. He does conversation, uncomfortable conversations as a black man. But I listened to him on a podcast recently for um, his new book, which actually apparently he had this idea like way before that series even started. And it's called Illogical. And it was such a beautiful way to put how we operate. Like he just said, do things that are illogical. Like do the things that the goal sounds so big and crazy and just stick with it, you know? Kayla, you mentioned how um, I recently bought a cottage with my partner that we're going to be doing like some renos and, you know, people are like, oh, when do you want to be renting it out by? I'm like, July 2nd. And it's like very illogical. And everyone's reaction is like, oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, one, perfectly okay if that's not actually going to happen. And I think that's the thing, right? We get so scared of like saying these things because like, what if then we can't do it? But I mean, there's actually no consequence if I can't do it. But if I try for July 2nd, like I'm going to operate in such a 
more strategic way. It's the same, right? If you're trying to hit that extra stretch goal on your launch, it's going to make you do things differently. So I'm like, I would much rather say July 2nd and fall flat on my face and, you know, launch it in August. But I know that it's making me stay on my toes and saying like, okay, what's the next step? What's the next step? And just thinking in that illogical format and getting comfortable with it being okay, right? There's absolutely no fail. Like I could say it on this podcast and you guys will be laughing when I'm like renting it in October, but that's all that happens. You know what I mean? Like there's actually no, I mean, obviously there's the back end of like, we're paying for things and whatever, but it really is fine to say like, I want to go chase this thing. And even if I don't get there, like I'm going to get close and I'm probably going to get further than if I went for the really safe goal. Love that. And what is next for you, Jen? What is that next right goal for, for cheekbone beauty? What does the next phase look like? Well, I said some really illogical things um, that got published. So now I get asked about it. I've, I've, said, um, I think it was in 2018, that I wanted to be the first Indigenous woman to build a brand worth a billion dollars, because we all know what worth means on paper. It's not your actual revenue. So I think some people were confused that that was the right. I mean, still shooting for, you know, a $7,500 million a year business is a big, 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 giant, illogical thing to say when I was like selling maybe $250,000 that year or something. Um, But Again, I think putting that in my own heart and mind and putting it out there that to be not afraid to come up with those crazy concepts. And here's the crazy thing. Um, There were brands that year like Emily Weiss from Galassier, Tiffany Masterson from Drunk Elephant and Jamie uh, Leem Kerma from It Cosmetics that all had brands valued at a billion dollars. So if those three women could do it. Why couldn't I? Right. Like, so anyway, I put it out there. We're not even close, but we're still working. (laughs) Um, what's next for us is, yeah, we, we need, we need Canada to continue supporting us. We need Canada to tell all their friends about our brand. We need them to keep buying it. I I usually don't say stuff like this, but this is the reality of, of where we, we are. Um, and we need that continued support. Um, I think sometimes people, once you hit Sephora, they think you've made it. Um, and you're literally just getting started because now you have to stay in Sephora and Sephora has numbers to tell brands where you have to be to stay in their stores or they kick you out and it's over. Um, and we need Sephora USA. And so we have 40% of our e-commerce business was coming from the United States. So we, we know that we have an audience there. We know if people want us. Um, and so we're pushing our uh, U.S. audience right now to just keep like our Canadian audience did. They harass Sephora. We're still not in enough stores physically in Sephora. They keep like, here, do this many. We're like, give us all your stores, please. Like enough, not like, well, I've never been anyone to want to do anything half-assed. So I'm just like, give it to us all. We want to be in all of them. Um, so hopefully that happens within the next couple of months as well. Um, and I think the next biggest thing for me is to try to maintain, you know, um, spending enough time with my family and friends. Um, but the job still gives me so much joy that it, it, I'm, it, it doesn't feel like crazy work, which is so bizarre to say. Um, but that's what I think being an entrepreneur is when you find the thing you love, like, 
Like I love going to work. Like I never thought or dreamed I would ever say that about any job. And I haven't ever (laughs) in the world. And I hear my team sometimes they're like, I can't wait for Friday. I'm like, why? (laughs) Cause they want, no one is ever going to feel the way I do about cheekbone beauty. And I totally understand that. And I want them to have their weekends and time off, of course. Right. But but yeah, I love that. Why we don't need Friday? Yeah, looking forward to Monday. And Mallory, what about you? What what is the forecast of your future looking like? And and for your clients as well? What are some of the big bold goals you're seeing? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, well, I think right now it's just such weird times, kind of coming out of the last two years. So for a lot of people, I think it's like only looking like a few months ahead because that's all they can handle right now. And I think that's really important. So like even for myself, you know, whenever someone asks what's next, I'm like, want to hide in a corner because I'm like well right now I'm working on this new reno and that's about all I can see and when I'm done with that I'll let you know um, but I think it's like some of us do better operating that way and that's definitely me I'm like all in while I'm in it and then I kind of come out for air and then see the next thing and as it comes amazing so any final words we've covered a lot of ground in in today's episode but any final pieces of advice words of wisdom um, that you want to leave uh, our audience with Jen over to you first Um, I I know it was mentioned, but I don't have any special skills. I want that to be clear. I wake up every day. I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. The only thing that has kept this business going, and I think why we've seen the success is because I consistently woke up every day and just did something to work on Cheekbone Beauty every single day for almost the last seven years from that original dream. Um, And I think that that idea gets missed. Like we see the overnight successes, um, but it's not. It's an entrepreneur that was just consistent. Mallory. Yeah, I'd say build something you want to build and not something you think you're supposed to build. I think like that you're going to get challenged that way again and again in your business of, you know, that temptation or confusion of going down a road that wasn't ever what you wanted, whether it's how you're marketing your business, whether it's your vision for your business and just remembering like you're allowed to build the thing that you want to build. And, you know, you might be the first one doing it. And that's actually a really beautiful thing. It doesn't mean you're going the wrong way. Fantastic words of wisdom to end today's episode on. Thank you so much, Mallory. Thank you so much, Jen, uh, for spending time on the Startup Women podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. To learn more about Cheekbone Beauty and the impact their products are making, head over to www.cheekbonebeauty.com. If you want to connect with Mallory to learn about marketing and growth for your business, you can visit www.malloryrowan.com. Thank you so much for joining us on the Startup Women podcast, where we are committed to telling the stories of women entrepreneurs and uncovering actionable advice that goes beyond the surface level. The Startup Women podcast is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles and is made possible with the support of BDC and Scotiabank so we can continue to power women identifying entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca to explore the Startup Women flagship program and access advisory support and free resources. Be sure to check out the show notes to access important links, resources, and information that we mentioned during today's episode. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to another episode next month.